Hi, this QD Clinic. I'm Jack Cushwood. Room now. QD Clinic is a big part of PSA all the way. Today, our case is Molin right, right or wrong? What? I saw a um, older male came at the clinic. Long, long history. Twenty, almost thirty years of psoriasis. He says. 10, 12-year history of arthritis, and now he's nothing but arthritis mutilants. You know, broken windmills for hands, just all gnarled up. Um, hard to tell if any synovitis could exist there. Leads me to believe maybe there's some hope, but he's been tried on a lot of therapies, and most of the newer ones don't work. Made me think about the Molin Wright classification system which used to say that there are five types of psoriatic arthritis. The, let's go through them. Polyarthritis, oligoarthritis being the biggest group. Um, the next group is what? The uh, patients who have axial psoriatic arthritis, used to call that spondylitis or psoriatic spondylitis. Um, DIP disease, and then arthritis mutilans. Well, if you look at drug development in the last, you know, 10 years, it's largely been for psoriatic polyarthritis. Um, while the criteria for entry did allow patients with up to three joints or more, three joints or more to get into the studies, usually they all had polyarthritis going in. And so the case is not as strong, I think, to be for treating oligoarthritis, which is the biggest group, with, as you know, with uh, psoriatic arthritis. But we do know that those patients are easier to treat than are the, psoriat the psoriatics who have polyarticular disease. Uh, a lot of polyarticular disease does involve DIPs and PIPs. So the question is, does DIP deserve its own designation? Um, so what we've seen is that drug development has been for active psoriatic arthritis, it's usually polyarticular. It could be oligo or polyarticular, and nothing more as far as indications, right? Meaning you're not going for indications for just DIP disease only or for uh, patients who have arthritis mutilans only. I think you are going to see uh, indications in the future for axial psoriatic arthritis, what we used to call psoriatic spondylitis. number of trials now that uh, are showing really Good promise there. Um, and really, the drug development scene for psoriatics has followed the pattern that's really been laid out by GRAPA in its treatment guidelines. So if you look at the GRAPA treatment guidelines, they you know have uh, algorithms for whether you have peripheral arthritis or axial arthritis. And then enthesitis and dactylitis. You know, we could well see an indication for that for some of the drugs that we have. Then skin only, we certainly have seen that, and nail only disease. And now you're seeing in psoriasis that they're going after indications for nail disease and for scalp only disease and for genital disease, right? Uh, and then let's go after the really difficult stuff in psoriasis. And that, of course, would be palmo plantar pustular psoriasis. And then um, there's, you know, domains of IBD and uveitis in the GRAPA guidelines. Those end up becoming the pathways to drug development and future use. None of that helps me and my patient who has arthritis mutilans. Look it up. 
It's really symptomatic management, DMARD management, some cases of TNF inhibitor use, largely nothing um, to substantiate the use of an IL-17 or, or an IL-23 inhibitor or a 12-23 inhibitor in, in this group. Um, it pretty much is, uh, these, uh, it, the damage is already done and there's not a lot of hope. What I don't like about that is I could have said the same thing about TNF inhibitors with the very first patient I gave a TNF inhibitor to who wasn't an RA patient. It was 1999. The man had ankylosing spondylitis. He was totally fused, stem to stern. I mean, gigantic man. And he said, hey, he was mad at me because nothing I was doing was helping him. When are you going to do something that's going to help me, Mr. Researcher? And I said, well, you're going to get on this new TNF inhibitor business because I was looking at that animal models. It looked like it made sense. And boom, even though he was totally fused, very limited in motion, had peripheral arthritis, his wife called me like four days later and said, what did you give my husband? He's on speed. He's doing stuff he hasn't done in 20 years. So there is hope even when there is a lot of damage. I'd like to see more development even for that horrible small subset of arthritis mutilans. I think Mole and Wright were right. I just don't think we're paying attention to it. Tune in for more QD Clinics. Welcome to QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by this month, PSA all the way, our focus on a big problem in rheumatology. Today's case is what to do, do, do with the DIPs. That's a reference to the police. 57-year-old male presents to you with DIP arthritis going on for, he says, the last, I don't know, six, five, eight, eight years. He doesn't really know. He just says that recently the pain, stiffness, and swelling in his fingers is getting worse. You look down, it's really the DIPs. Uh, he denies any rash, bowel, or urologic problems, no eye problems. Uh, he's been taking over-the-counter non-steroidals. Um, you know, you do x-rays, you get labs. Labs are be seronegative, uh, um, and uh, the uric acid is normal, and the x-rays um, show evidence of erosive disease, and you diagnose psoriatic arthritis on the basis really of the fusiform swelling of those DIPs, the sort of somewhat squishy synovitis, the redness, the presence of onycholysis, um, and then on a deeper, um, more intensive search, you find that there is uh, other cutaneous evidence of psoriasis in this individual. So what's the differential diagnosis of DIP arthritis? Um, you can get it in RA, you know, and in fact, there's a study from a few years ago saying that that minor subset of RA patients that does have DIP involvement are actually patients who have really worse disease. So in RA, it can be a bad news. And there's certainly RA is, um, is maybe a little bit more prevalent than is just psoriatic arthritis. Um, you know, DIP can also be from, from multicentric reticulonodular um, uh, histiocytosis, MRH, very, very rare. But it's DIP involvement is really almost um, always seen in MRH patients. Obviously, erosive OA, rarely patients with SAFO, but you know, um, it's OA, erosive OA, and PSA are often the differential diagnosis. Um, 
while DIP involvement can be seen in 40 to 50% of patients, exclusive DIP involvement can be seen, seen anywhere from 15 to 25% of patients. And as you know, the, one of the old teaching things is that nail involvement in PSA portends a greater risk of um, uh, DIP involvement with PSA. And DIP involvement in PSA is one of the five subgroups in the Mole and Wright classification system. You know, oligoarthritis, which is the dominant group, polyarthritis, the next dominant group, DIP arthritis, arthritis mutilans, and what we now call axial um, psoriatic arthritis, which had a great session by Phil Meese at Room Now Live. You might want to look at that um, in the months to come uh, on Room Now. But so, again, DIP arthritis is one of the five categories. There's some argument in the literature in the last 20 years about whether that deserves to be its own separate category. Um, more recent studies have shown that, that um, it's, um, what, it's the onycholysis and the hyperkeratosis that actually um, uh, is best predictive of DIP involvement. Um, are they treated any differently? Not really. Again, you would use the same drugs. Um, he's already failed non-steroidals. You could go on to methotrexate and then escalate from there. Um, sulfasalazine, of course, which you would not use in, um, in axial PSA, uh, has been shown to have some value in these patients. Plaquenil, obviously not. Steroids you should avoid. Um, and then you can go into some of the other approved therapies, um, which haven't been specifically studied in um, as subsets. And we're, now we're seeing with a lot of the IL-17, IL-23, IL-1223 and JAK inhibitors, as you see more and more studies, and we're seeing lots of studies in PSA, you'll start to see more subset studies. I think we'll be discussing that in the next month. That's it for QD Clinic. Tune into more about PSA all the way throughout April 2022. Welcome to QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush. This month, it's PSA all the way. We're having cases from QD Clinic that are all about psoriatic arthritis. So my patient is a 23-year-old um, college student. She's now going into grad school. She has um, really severe plantar um, uh, psoriasis, uh, pustulosis, plantar palmal plantar pustulosis, but it's really in the on the sole of the foot, the arch of the foot, the whole foot, both feet. It's painful. It's problematic. Um, she is on a, um, a TNF inhibitor, and it's not controlling that. Uh, and the question is, how do you manage this? So this is a case not so much about managing palmal plantar um, pustulosis. What we learned at Room Now Live last week was that it looks like the early data suggests JAK inhibitors may be effective there, but we don't. It's not an indication yet. We don't have. We haven't seen all the data yet. But that's the hardest variant to treat here. What I want this particular QD clinic to be about is how you communicate with and co-manage this patient with the dermatologist. I'll tell you what I do, and I'm lucky in the, in that in Dallas where I live, there's at least six medical dermatologists, all good friends, all capable of, and, and frequently we share patients. They send me patients, I send them patients. And um, in half of them tend to be younger. Um, we have a cell phone texting relationship. 
and that works well. So in this particular patient who I'm seeing who comes from four hours away and I need an answer today, my solution to the problem is use my cell phone, take a picture of both feet, um, send it to dermatologist, favored dermatologist number two, um, who I know is the one who will text me back like usually within a half an hour, uh, whereas favored dermatologist number one might take a day or number three might take two days. But either which way, I, we use the cell phone to communicate. I got a patient. Can you squeeze them in today? I got a patient with this new rash. Am I, should I be worried about this or not? This can, I mean, I think if we were on the same network and we could share the files electronically within the same EMR, that would be the best solution. But we're not. We're all in private practice. We're all separated by, you know, um, two highways and, um, and, and time. And the question is, how are we going to, and, and, and busy schedules might throw that into the mix. Um, and I think that a, a texting relationship is a really good, I mean, you could call the person, but in a text, you can quickly outline the problem, get down to the bare, bare facts that are needed for a decision. And decision and the questions have to be simple in this medium. Not like, how would you manage this? Give me your first nine choices. But do you need to see this patient today? Do I need to stop a, a drug today? Do I need to start a drug today? What would you suggest? I'll have her make an appointment for you. You have nothing available today. I think this is the modern and best way. I think in the future, we'll have better ways of doing instant communication that's um, you know, truly HIPAA compliant uh, and, uh, and safe um, and heck, even billable. In the future, what we really need to see are billable solutions for peer-to-peer -peer consultation, especially on difficult case management. That's how I manage this kind of difficult case. Take care.